Welcome, one and all, to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Discovery podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open. Is there an acceptable answer other than yes? Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 409, Rubicon, comes to you now via Null Space Bubble. And news from the fleet before this episode leaves orbit. Pete, Star Trek alum Patrick Stewart is going to be in a movie called The Doctor Strange Number 2 playing uh, Charles Javier. Pete, are you aware of any of this? Is he, though? Because there's been, like, some internet footsie. Oh, it's not really him. We know a guy, Matt, uh, who says it's definitely not him. Uh, though you hear the voice of Sir Patrick Stewart and you see the side of a bald head. Uh, so I guess we'll just have to wait until closer to May, right? <laughs> Indeed. And speaking of Patrick Stewart... Uh, our Picard podcast will preview season two tomorrow. A reminder that the show returns on March 3rd. And our podcast plan uh, is that starting in March, we will be podcasting Star Trek Discovery on Saturdays and Picard on Sundays. Meanwhile, this week, Matt, Paramount Plus had an investor day. Yes, they did, in which many things were promised and announced. Uh, Pete, you've told me I can't mention... SpongeBob related stuff. So, can we talk about the Star Mentions Trek SpongeBob? What's that? <laughs> Mentions SpongeBob. <laughs> well, look, Pete. I just want to say that now that they've renamed the company to Paramount, but Pete, what other info came out of that Investor Day? Well, they showed an entire uh, group of uh, clips, maybe even a trailer uh, from Star Trek: Strange New Worlds. Uh, gave that information and those images out and then contacted Twitter to take down uh, accounts that had posted it, including that of Trek Corps. This is when the Paramount Plus PR people would like to remind you that there is no PR problem. If you say there's a PR problem, you're going to get hit with the hammer. Uh, aside from that little little oopsie-daisy, was there any positive news, positive Star Trek news to come out of this Investor Day presentation? If you say that for the umpteenth time there will be a new Star Trek movie, but do not yet have uh, a finished script or have the cast signed, can we say that that's positive? Oh, and it will definitely totally be out next year. No exceptions, Matt. No exceptions, just no script and no cast signed yet. Pete, look, we, I think, are fair with the pot shots we take towards some of this. Uh, here was the Wall Street investor response to a lot of this Paramount Investor Day stuff. A sell-off in stock. Terrible investor headlines. The Financial Times taking pot shots and making fun of the presentation. There's weird things going on at the corporate level here. I really genuinely hope that it does not negatively impact the Star Trek that we are getting. Whether it's Chris Pine movies, whether it's the current shows, the new shows, and so forth. So much of Star Trek is integral to 
what on Monday was Viacom CBS and today now is called just Paramount that I just hope that, you know, they don't uh, set fire to the forest and accidentally burn the trees, that sort of thing. In more manageable uh, news, there was a statement by our Star Trek Discovery producers this week that uh, Species 10C will be something we've never seen before. That is exciting, even though I really do like the theory that Species 10C is us. Uh, the notion that's something we've never seen before, that's that's exciting too. Pete, I've heard sometimes Star Trek can, can be new and not always be old. I'll read the direct quote here from uh, showrunner, co-showrunner Matt, Michelle Paradise. It's hard to answer that question without giving any spoilers for the episode to come. So I will be deliberately vague, except just to say that it has been quite a journey and was very interesting for us in the room to create a species somewhat unlike any we'd seen and to build mystery around the species. I can say that in the episodes to come, yes, we will learn more and the mystery will only deepen. I will say that it's very unlike anything we've done on the show before, and it's unlike a species we've seen before. It felt important to us to really dig deep with that and explore that in a way that felt right for the show and right for Trek specifically. Well, an exciting prospect there that future missions will involve more information about the 10C. For now, let's head into this mission briefing. Inside a rogue planet, Cleveland Book Booker's ship sits as he helps Tarka put the finishing touches on the isolinear weapon to destroy the DMA controller, but protect its internal power source, which will be ready in about five to six hours. Book is impatient, but Tarka tells him Burnham will understand because they will prevent any more loss to the DMA. Pete, I like that the best bombs are mostly built in between episodes. That means we don't have to sit around while they do the whole thing. <laughs> uh, we do get a bit of a story clock. It's built, but Tarka needs just a few hours to calibrate it. Uh, also, there are some moments in this scene where Tarka has dialogue, um, uh, but the camera is on book, so maybe evidence of re-recording, not a slam. You know, make your changes at whatever point to, to improve the episode. Uh, it is also reiterated that they are dedicated to stopping the DMA. So kind of a restatement of beliefs there. On Discovery, Saru visits Burnham. She has received a message from Book. He sends uh, his love and recaps that the DMA. Uh, he's been told that the DMA is like a mining device, but that doesn't change the lives that have been lost and the potential for more deaths uh, he wishes there was a middle ground, but there simply is not. The message ends, and Burnham is disappointed that the information hasn't changed his mind. Therefore, now, Discovery must act. Saru says that Book has left them with no choice. At Federation HQ, Admiral Vance and Burnham talk about whether she's capable of leading the mission to try to stop Tarka and Book. He tells her, uh, President Rillick, had a lot to say about it. 
but she understands Discovery is the only ship capable of reaching them on time, and nobody knows Book better than Burnham. And she's never let Vance down, but the president remains concerned Burnham could be too emotionally compromised to make the right call. Vance is similarly concerned, so he's going to send another officer with them to step in if needed. Even Saru is too close to the situation, but it is a friendly face, which should make it easier on everyone. Say hello again to Commander Nan. Yippee, yippee at her return. She's a great character who I don't remember, Pete, whether I had seen footage that she was coming or I had heard that she was coming. But, you know, no, no surprise that she has returned, but a welcome return nonetheless. Hugs abound. Burnham says that she's cool with having Nan there. Uh, Pete, that's my words. I don't think Burnham says, cool, Nan. Um, Nan is happy to be back as well. And it's referenced that Barzans are uh, about service, uh, a notion of duty above all. Nan gives a little bit of a recap here. She completed the Seed Vault mission. Didn't hang on Barzan. Uh, she'll return to that later. One does get the sense that it was not it was not the, uh, the, the the fulfilling homecoming that she had hoped for. She also points out she has smaller breathers now. Her eyes are her own. Less makeup, less fuss. Am I right? Those early mornings a little bit easier there in Toronto when you got less stuff to have glued to your face. Um, she also has, has some info on Black Ops missions, and she's happy to help here. Um, and... Ultimately, is she trying to make her way back to the land of light, away from all the security stuff? Uh, I, I hope, Pete, that she is. It's not how she wanted to return to Discovery, but she figured better her than a stranger. As he tends to his plants in his quarters, Saru reaches out to Navarre President Tarina because he's having a hard time focusing in the face of the mission to stop Book and Tarka, but she senses there is more. His ward, Sukal, is greatly worried about the DMA and at a distance. Uh, Saru is having a hard time reassuring him, and Tarina advises Saru that uh, when she has difficulty finding balance, uh, that the peaceful routines of daily life can be helpful indeed so that a first and foremost i think a, a very COVID era affirmation there and one that is uh i suspect timelessly true um the pete the notion here of them moving closer together to calm their minds to practice breathing there they are sitting upon pillows pete this is this is steamy vulcan stuff here okay the subtext <laughs> The subtext, thank goodness we're in the aquaponics hangout because there's just there's just dew in the air. Um, and one of these uh, peaceful routines, Pete, something we all need to do, the simple joy of life, having a meal perhaps together with the president of Navarre. Hmm. Pete, with that, Saru happily saunters onto the bridge. Uh, I think we're, I, I, I hope, nay, pray that we are returning to this topic uh, beyond this episode. Oh, I think we will. Uh, on the bridge, Reese and Nilsson discuss a book. Reese says a lot of people agree with book. And Saru cautions that personal opinions are irrelevant considering their orders. 
Burnham and Non enter the bridge uh, for uh, Non's reunion with the crew. Uh, she says they can ignore her. She's just there to observe. But Burnham wants them to know the real reason she's there is to get the job done right. Burnham has a Wushikun display the tracker aboard Book's ship on screen and lays out the mission. She orders the cloak activated before we jump into the title card. The credits include uh, that the fact that the script is written by Alan McElroy. He, a longtime series producer and writer, and directed by Andy Armaganian. Uh, this is her first Star Trek episode, though she's directed a number of series in the last few years. And Pete, we will see her return to Star Trek in Strange New Worlds, episode 106 in June. The cloaked Discovery jumps in and Awoshikan detects a book's ship 4,000 meters inside a cavity. Reese says there is no sign of sensors or security, and Detmer takes them in, and they bring Book's ship on screen as Burnham asks Saru and Nan to join her in the ready room along with Dr. Culber. Let's take a minute and reflect on this sweet, glossy appearance of the cloaked ship. I mean, we've seen this sort of thing a thousand times before, but it really sold you know, that in-between place that we need as viewers in terms of it's completely transparent, except we have to see something on screen. It looked fantastic and um, was one of the best versions of this sort of, you know, there but not there presentation that uh, that comes to mind. The sleekness of the effect and overall of the uh, special effects in this episode, definitely worth talking about. Uh, in the ready room here, Burnham explains that Book's ship has a built-in security disruption field preventing them from beaming on board, but that a cloaked shuttle can slip in and enter through a maintenance hatch. Saru will take point with Culver, Reese, and Bryce. Non inquires about Bryce's work for Dr. Kovich for first contact with species 10c but burnham will have zora continue looking for communication frequencies that can pass through the galactic barrier in his absence saru briefs non on his plan to use a multi-phasic signal discriminator to override external proximity sensors and gain entrance before book and tarka can learn of their arrival culber will be there to help de-escalate uh, but admits Tarka is the wild card. And Saru says the phasers will be set to stun. And as the scene wraps up, Burnham wishes them well. And there's kind of an unspoken non-Burnham tension there. Uh, we go to the cloaked shuttle being piloted by Bryce, with Reese again saying that the Federation is not acting fast enough. The two bicker, and Saru shuts that down. Culber reminds everyone that they're there to fix the situation together uh words that will be used later uh with that they prepare to land we see burnham and the bridge crew watching carefully hearing things mostly over audio pete that's because there's a whole bunch of like you know clear unseen ships going on in this episode well, i guess the number is two but that's why there's not the visual then all of a sudden something isn't right something is on the shuttle uh which they conveniently can't see due to the the blast shield being down which on the one hand i feel like is a bit of a story cheat but it's now, you know, it's not the first time that they've used this 
technique on this type of shuttle, let alone Star Trek in general. So again, it's like, a story cheat, I see you, but you are well-placed. So is it cheating? I know this, Pete. What's on the shuttle? That's a that's a question of great import. It almost sounded, given the um, the subtitles, like some sort of creature that it wasn't uh, anything that Bookship has done. But uh, Tarka explains he's created an autonomous uh, security system that he didn't bother to tell Book about that is now attached itself to the shuttle, alarms blaring all over the place. Um, Awoshikun cannot beam the back. Bryce can't move the shuttle since they're latched on here to book ship. Book says they'll need to stop it or the uh, crew aboard the shuttle will be killed. Uh, but Tarka will not be able to reprogram even the first layer before they die. Uh, with the shuttle's structural integrity compromised and beginning to shatter, uh, Tarka tells Book to fire a EMP charge through the hull to allow the shuttle to break free. As uh, Owoshikun says, hull integrity is down to 10%. Book radios the shuttle to use their thrusters to blast themselves free. Shuttle struggles, and as it breaks apart, Awoshikun is able to beam them safely back to the bridge. And Pete, thank goodness that they do. Okay, you gotta maximize those COVID-era Zone A group filming days, okay? You don't get a ton of them. You got everybody on the, on the bridge set today. Beam them on back to the bridge set. It's just, it's just smart filmmaking. Um, but of course, now Book is aware of the whole situation and he jumps his ship. Burnham recaps, we cannot let first contact be one of aggression, uh, which Pete, I'm realizing in a quite good, maybe not best episode ever, but in a quite good episode, uh, she's kind of foreshadowing the problem at the end of the episode here because, spoiler alert, that's what happens. Um, and of course, it can't be aggression because they want peace. Um, they don't know where Book has jumped to, but they prep Black Alert. Uh, and I kind of was wondering where they were jumping to as they went to the act break. But after the act break, they're near the DMA. So, okay, fair is fair. Start searching for the controller, Pete. Start searching. Book has disabled the tracker in the isolinear uh, container there. So uh, they're going to really have to look for him here. When Discovery jumps in, Burnham orders the crew to find the DMA controller before Book and Tarka. Non asks how she plans to stop them from using their weapon, but Burnham hasn't figured that out just yet. Our old friend Linus, Matt, tells Burnham that dark matter interference is greater than expected, and Awoshikun says that cloaking will be spotty and impact shield stability, as well as scanning being limited. Uh, it's like Detmer's grandmother used to say, like finding a needle in a haystack. I guess they needed to say it was an old-timey phrase, even though in the 21st century it still is old-timey, because, Pete, when's the last time you had a haystack? And, but, but I digress, Pete. We're going to plot a grid search pattern here. It's at this point, Non asks for a private conversation with Burnham and Saru. She admits that she was uh, to give the following orders if things go sideways. 
book's ship has a weakness. Uh, fire a uh, photon torpedo at the impulse manifold. Uh, it'll kill both of them. Uh, it's to be used as a last resort. Pete, some people might call this like a Project Stardust kind of uh, weakness to the to the craft. Um, <laughs> I will add to it that there will be such an explosion uh, that it would require Discovery to jump away ASAP, lest uh, they all get destroyed in the isolytic uh, explosion. Um, this is an option that needs to be explored, says Non. Burnham hesitant, Non saying that she can take over as needed. Uh, they argue, and Saru notes that they should identify areas to agree as per Culber. What is the middle ground of the shared goal? I have to admit, Pete, on first view, I was like, oh, here we go. Here's our Star Trek message here about thinking that there actually could be a shared goal. There could be a middle ground. And then, Pete, I realized the episode was talking to me along with all the others that don't think there's a middle ground. Pete, I am them. They are me. And uh, it's a good lesson after all. Burnham contacts Stamets in engineering where he's working on increasing scanning range. She tells him to put Reno on that. The unseen Reno in this episode, unfortunately, because she wants him to scan for the remaining Boronite in the sector so that they can calculate the rate of consumption to predict how long before the DMA jumps again. If they can get a timetable, they might be able to use it to get Book to stand down. Non wants to call the Admiral to advise him of their plan, and Burnham says that they should do it together. That's like the working together thing. On Book's ship, Tarka apologizes for the attack on the shuttle. Um, he also says, Book, you'll need to figure out what will win out for you, Discovery or beating the DMA. Uh, with that, it's time to load the weapon into Torpedo Tube 6, which I thought felt like a detail to hang on to for later. Like, I was convinced, like, oh no, there's been a... Convinced there would be, like, there's a jam on Torpedo Tube 6, or Burnham would be like, Book always fires from his favorite torpedo tube, number six. <laughs> but, Pete, it's just a detail, right? Fleshing out the universe. That's okay. Um, favorite torpedo tube is number four, but there you go. Um, uh, as long as who does number four work to, or that's number two. But I digress, Pete. On I'll Discovery... tell you where the torpedo tube thing might come up with the like overkill spread of quantum torpedoes that... Uh, Tarka winds up firing later on. Perhaps that's a link. Yeah. I, I, I'm also remembering too, that sometimes I'm certainly not saying that this is the case, nor am I saying, you know, I'm, I'm down on this episode, but sometimes in the multi-draft process of a script, things that are meant to connect up, like the section C of the script gets removed and completely re reworked. And now you know, tube six is a throwaway as opposed to a big setup, but nobody changes that line and it's not an egregious thing, but it's like nobody changes it. So it feels like it's connecting, but you know, again, I'm just all, all, this entire season under this incredibly challenging, you know, prospect of 13 episodes, one of the first shows back at, you know, after the lockdown and so forth, but back to discovery, they sent something and it's books ship. They could destroy it or they could burn out the sensors Discovery chooses the second, which is to say Burnham chooses the second. Uh, and are, are the scanners indeed burned out? Well, they're 40% remaining. Uh, Book fires at a hydrogen cloud. It's a magnesium charge with a 20-second fuse. 
Uh, Burnham has them move towards it. Wait, towards? Yes. Uh, we're going to go and dip down all of this because Book and Burnham are playing this game of chess and chess moves that they have previously played together. I love Against how this the scene... brain. Yes. Pirates. I love th this whole scene. It kind of unfolds in real time that they're both really good with all these tactics, but they know each other's tactics. And it also highlights the fact that Nan is whispering into Burnham's ear and Tarko's whis whispering into Book's ear, kind of both as proxies of the larger mission. And it's this whole episode kind of, I don't want to say it comes together because again, I'm not down on it, even though I didn't absolutely love it. But like this whole, this whole scene, I think, encapsulates what the episode uh, has going for it. Uh, Awoshikan finds the rift. Uh, Stamets continues to crunch gear quads of information. And uh, Detmer brings them uh, closer to the DMA controller for a look at it. This, uh, what was that, like a tetrahedron type of uh, design there with a big red ball in the middle. Uh, and Burnham is adamant that they're going to place discovery between a book's ship and that controller. Uh, we have Stamets crushing data faster, if possible, uh, all while, you know, Nan is raising alerts about how these are increasing acts of aggression. Um, we have evidence that the DMA controller is inside the rift. All ponder this for a moment. It is precious to them. Uh, Nilsson kind of almost with a like spit to the ground. The 10C just don't care. They're so different, so unlike us, which I must admit, Pete, I wrote before I knew that they actually really are, according to Michelle Paradise, so different, so unlike us. Um, but uh, Pete, until nothing they're else. revealed to totally be us, that could be, yeah, until it's old. Hey, hey Matt, remember the DMA, totally natural, totally all natural. <laughs> until it became creature made. Um, so Pete, I can still live in hope that it's going to be like, wait, the DMA also, are hailing our us. Our source is totally inside of it. <laughs> um, look, I look forward to old grandma Burnham being like, finally, we've brought together the pieces of the timeline together. What? Yes. Old Burnham is the 10 C dun, 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 or something like that. Um, Anyhow, uh, Stamets is still crunching numbers. Nan is still counseling for decisive actions. I'm realizing here that that's not a repetition in my notes as much as it is reflecting uh, themes covered in the last couple of minutes of the episode. Um, they decide that they need more information for Book. That will change his mind. Pete, it's kind of a Book, here's more data, do your own research kind of thing. Um, Burnham wishes that there was yet another option. Nan reminds her that there is one. Uh, indeed, she gives, she, Nan, gives Reese that last resort plan. What? That would result in the destruction of Book, says Reese, a pretty cool guy. Um, Nan reiterates to the bridge that Book's ship needs to be stopped at any cost. And with that, Pete, here comes Book's ship. Uh, coming out here to fire on them. These are warning shots. We get, you know, pretty cool sequence of... Uh, jumping uh, in and out to uh, avoid one another and these warning shots that are going on. Uh, pretty neat given 
everything that's going on emotionally in this episode here until Tarka says that it needs to stop and hits books console firing this massive spread of quantum torpedoes dropping discovery shields down to 20 percent um non uh tells burnham to give the order or she will non lost half her team on her last mission waiting to make the call she should have they're running out of time saru uh fears that non is right as well there's a great use of sound design here as burnham looks around the bridge and we can hear her breathe which gets interrupted by stamets because he's finished his calculations 154 hours or matt a standard week between you know episodes uh a full week here where the uh before the dma will jump um they hail a book again but to no response burnham gives saru the con tells uh reese to obey the order if non gives it and they hit the ready room indeed non and burnham about to have a sidebar uh they see success or failure but it's not binary like that there is indeed a middle ground uh why didn't they just call this episode the middle ground come to think of it anyhow um burnham feels that she can get book to see that middle ground she's going to fly a shuttle in front of his view screen uh non will if non has to fire using uh operation plan non destroys the ship uh that will also take out the shuttle burnham knows that ultimately non will do what is best for the team with that, we have dramatic music. We have Burnham launching Saru in the captain's chair on the bridge uh, in Book's ship. Uh, look, it's actually Burnham pulling on up there to talk. It's a really good use of the standing set and then, you know, the effects. I wonder if they used the AR wall uh, to be able to complete that shot of the, the shuttle and uh the bridge of book ship if if nothing else the ability to be like um hey outside each of the two bridge sets we're gonna take down the green screen because we're shooting into it not out of it and we're gonna have the other actor stand 40 feet into the sound stage so you can look at them and actually have the conversation as opposed to what is probably you know, nine times out of ten in a Star Trek show, okay, minus maybe some of the holographic discussions, but where it's just like, all right, now I'm going to look up at the air and talk to the air as I say, come in, radio waves. You know, like the ability for the actors who are supposed to be talking face-to-face in the show, the characters are speaking face-to-face, the ability to have the actors do it as well, doubtless a better performance. Pete, I thought this was setting up perhaps a big goodbye. I mean, I guess we could still get a goodbye but um this felt like it could have been it burnham says that they can't stay on their separate sides when each other isn't the real threat oh man hashtag 2020 um but what is the middle ground here's the data indeed do your own research the dma should stay here for another week burnham will try diplomacy uh both book and tarka can be held for one week on discovery not in the brig um first contact can be attempted 
perhaps can be made. If that fails, then the Federation will back Book's plan. I'm assuming, Pete, that comes from Vance and isn't just Burnham being, uh, shall we say, uh, uh, you know, speculative. Uh, Tarka votes no, but he's lost his voting rights, uh, says yes. Book. That salvo of, of torpedoes took care of that. Book trusts Burnham here. But Tarka needs the power source to go home. Uh, and he says that and, off he says that off screen, by the way. Um, okay. And to be honest, I had forgotten about the power source aspect to it. It may have been mentioned in passing at the top of the episode, but just that that very linear power They've source to, several times. Okay. In this I, I do wonder if it was reiterated right here at this point with a dubbed line because, I mean, look, Pete, we, we have the book and Burnham, the romance versus mission. We have, you know, faded universe. We have the DMA. We have all of this stuff going on. I appreciated that the power source thing, which, of course, is going to get picked up in a little bit and picked up as a as a loss for Tarka. I think I think the script needed the reminder here and they've added it. And, and again, I think perhaps they've added it in a post-production point, but uh, the episode's better for the reminder. So the concept of being clear headed uh, rears its head, Matt. Uh, Tarka asks a book if he's familiar with the concept of expected utility. It's a core tenet in game theory when the risk is high and the outcome is unclear and what he's doing is being clear headed, um, as, uh, they're lowering the disruption field. There's a massive surge and book contacts discovery telling them that, uh, the weapon has been fired here. They need to get clear. Uh, Tarka says the detonation is going to stretch half a parsec and the null space bubble will only protect the power source, not them, but it's a small game of chicken book is going to wait until discovery is free and clear to jump. And they both managed to jump out before the big boom. And Tarka says it needed to be done, and it worked. The DMA is gone. He can go home once they find the... Wait. It, it's supposed to be here, Matt. There is no power source. He he looks and looks. It is not there. Uh, he explains it. it uh, was, what uh, does God need with a power source? I just thought it would be a big, clear container with green energy in the shape of a battery. Alas, uh, Tarka sadly says that it must have been powered from the other side of the wormhole from outside the galaxy. Uh, some time passes and Discovery is docked at headquarters. Burnham in her ready room looks despondent. Um, there, it, they, none of them have any idea how the 10C will respond. Um, things are essentially in, a, in an emergency lockdown situation. They're prepping for first contact. Bryce is continuing to look for ways to break through the galactic barrier in order to communicate. Uh, Nan says that she is leaving, but not for good. Both women sit and Burnham thanks Nan for the support. Uh, here we get the rest of the Nan uh, interim story. She notes that she did find her family's descendants. Most uh, still live in the same village. She, she saw kids and parents in a park. Uh, that said, there was too much that she could not share with them, you know, being from the past for one. 
she needs to get okay with some middle ground uh, and she would love to come back to discovery uh both women uh wish each other luck and hug and pete i hope we see not again soon rachel antrell is just a great addition to this cast as a recurring member since season two when she came over with the enterprise math pike's enterprise and uh so glad that we've been able to uh revisit the character from time to time in medical uh culber's just kind of shutting down for the night but saru comes in and he's having a heart attack but not the attack you like think of in a medical way indeed he he needs some advice about an overture from president Torina, who would like to have a social dinner uh, Saru wants to convey uh, an interest, but still has to decline, given that they are so different. Pete, it's almost, I wish there was some sort of metaphor that could be used here for some sort of common space, perhaps a middle ground here. Um, <laughs> I'm realizing this episode really, really explores that theme from a variety of uh, perspectives. It comes down to this, though. Does she have, does he have feelings for her? Culber, with all due respect thinks that Saru is being an idiot. All connections are a risk, and you can handle that risk. Uh, so we have an awe moment to end the episode. But wait, with that, Saru to the bridge. Pete, what news with which do we have to end the episode? It's a new DMA, Matt. Uh, somehow, because of the ability to send it through the wormhole, right? Through the uh, power source uh, on the other side of the galactic barrier uh, that a new one has appeared and now they must contend with this. The USS Mitchell is monitoring it and they've sent the image there to Discovery in the exact same place. So it would appear they have made first contact already. Pete, we have an incoming tactical analysis of this week's threats. Let's start with Ruan Tarka. That he's gone so far as to make security upgrades to book ship without telling him that he freelances firing a, a spread of torpedoes that might have destroyed discovery and that he was nearly completely wrong about the dma controller uh i could say he's really going down a slippery slope Slippery like ice. You know, Pete, you've heard of the elf on the shelf, but have you seen the Tarka and a Parka? Who knows? It could happen. Wow. Uh, another source of a threat this episode is Commander D. Period Non. Still no first name known. Um, I like that she is in opposition to Burnham, but not a villain to us. The one thing I couldn't square. All right. She lost like half of her team on the previous mission cool sis let's put you in charge of this super 
dangerous mission with some people you came to the future with that might completely compromise you when you're there to make sure they're not compromisable. Um, look, there's a little shoehorning going on in this episode. They want Nan to come back. Um, and for some reason, the two captains that are on the Discovery, you know, Burnham and Saru, they're not because they know Book but non who knows them, but doesn't know book. Look, it's a little, it's a little phony baloney, but if this is how we're going to get Rachel Antrill back in the episode, uh, I'm certainly more than okay with it. The uh, wrath of non. The ra- there you go. I mean, look, we saw the wrath of non either do what I say, or <laughs> I'll tell Reese to do it myself. I mean, there, there it is, Pete, there it is. And indeed, Pete, speaking of Reese, uh, a little, a little window into the world of, of Reese sympathizers with books cause being relatable here that Reese uh, and others seem to have been, uh, you know, sympathetic to it sets up a really interesting idea and, you know, books ready to stand down at the end of the episode until Tarka again takes matters into his own hands um so what would that have looked like you know we know with the big conference that they had that there were other um you know entities throughout the federation and even beyond that saw the logic in book's plan so it's not a clear-cut choice and you know i i think star trek is at its best when it lays out two potentially divergent paths before they ultimately recognize the best one. And I mean, shades of balance of terror in which, uh, you know, that bridge officer was, was all, you know, angry at the unseen Romulans and, oh man, they look like Vulcans now, you know, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll blame Spock and all of that. I think it's a very Star Trek discussion that, uh, that Reese and the Reese, sympathizers are are encompassing here pete last threat uh dma2 as you said in the notes electric boogaloo the return of the dma the delta variant of it uh were you surprised that the dma returned uh seemingly unchanged i don't know what i should say given that i know a little bit more here um we have not talked about it and you labeling it a Delta variant is an interesting way to put it. Let's use our long range sensors to scan for some theories. So Pete, you've already kind of addressed, I think the biggest one out there that with what four episodes to go, can we expect much more 10C information by the end of the season. We have to get it. And they've, they've said that they will answer it. Um, you know, we've proposed, I've proposed the theory that it, it's discovery in some way, shape, or form that takes a massive hit with, hey, here's another DMA um, in the same spot to, you know, sweep up the rest of the Boronite which is an interesting wrinkle. Will there be a, a sudden need for this substance that's created by 
discovery and kind of sets up that loop. We know that there's tachyons, that there's some form of time travel at play. So I don't think you can discount any of that. I find myself increasingly thinking about the theory you proposed that the uh, entities responsible for the DMA might be childlike and have no conception of, you know, what they're doing. Um, but, you know, we're, we're, we've seen images in the mid-season trailer. They're going to meet somebody. Uh, will it be some version of them or what have you? We'll just have to see. There were aspects of the Michelle Paradise quote uh, that you read at the beginning of the podcast that made me wonder the following. Do you think that we will have the 10C DMA threat um, resolved in the next four episodes? Or, you know, do we get to 10, do we, do we get to episode 413 and it's like, finally, 10C revealed, you know, and it's dun, 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 whatever it is, whether we see it on screen, whether we don't, whatever it is. But, and surprise, season five is getting to deal with the 10C. DMA, chapter chapter one, DMA is over. Chapter two, the 10C begins. So what are your thoughts there that this could be a multi-season thing? None. This, this is contained uh, to this season. I mean, will it be referenced next year? Like, hey, the burn, like, is referenced in this episode? Sure. That's ongoing storytelling, but you know, this as an overall arc will be decided by the end of the season. I'm glad to hear that because I think my only major criticism of this episode, which is squarely in the middle of the season, was that it felt squarely like a mid season episode. Uh, I don't think there are individual beats in this episode that are missteps. I think it's a good mix of Star Trek lesson, some character stuff with Saru. Return of Non, uh, you know, great use of what the entire Canadian bridge crew appears in it in some capacity or another. Like, all, you know, it's hitting all the hitting all the spots I would like an episode to hit. It just wasn't it wasn't giving us a ton of resolution again, nor should it at this point in the season. Um, but, you know, with uh, did I miscount? No. Yeah. With four episodes to go. All right. This is kind of what you get in the middle of the season, which is we're getting closer, but. We here we have a resolution which is now it's gone. Surprise, it's back. So, yeah, I I, I welcome more resolution in the coming weeks. I will take a action oriented episode with a lot of movement, with a lot of conflict like this, any day of the week and twice on Sundays. Do you think we get um, Adira back next week? We also have, you know, when's the return of Tilly? Is that going to be the, you know, circa season two, you know, here comes the people who are going to help us in the big season finale battle. Uh, so let's start with Adira. When when shall Adira return? It doesn't seem like next week. Uh, could I propose that Adira and Tilly could come together and Gray could, could all come together? Um I think the Tilly thing might be the um, penultimate episode as they mount the last ditch effort. One more from me, Pete. Clearly we have movement, I think as expected, but we have movement on the Saru-Tarina front. Um, 
you know, uh, certainly. Well, well, indeed, I I guess my question is this. How far does that go between now and the end of the season? Because I think on the one hand, it could be a delightful little, you know, C plot in the background where we get a little update, get a little update. Also, like, Pete, I'll swing for the fences here. I'm not saying I'm predicting this, but is there a path by which in the next four episodes, you know, it's episode 413, the season finale, wedding bells ring when Saru and Tarina walk down the aisle. Like, where do you think we're going to end up with that? Well, they're not going to walk down the aisle, but they are going to walk toward something together, and I'll leave that there. Okay. Uh, what theories do you have? Sakal being brought up in this episode didn't feel like a throwaway line. And yes, you you can take the boy uh, away from planet Dilithium, but can you take his abilities? away from him and is that something we should be afraid of it was raised on uh kaminar um with you know the exception that it it can't happen again but it it felt intentional you know bringing that up in this episode i'm not a huge fan of the sukal character so maybe i'm biased when i say hopefully it was a throwaway line uh, I also find myself thinking, too, you know, we have Sukal in this episode, but we don't see him because he's just mentioned. We have Reno in this episode, but we don't see her because she's just mentioned. Now, we've discussed um, how the actress's time on set was limited due to health concerns, uh, you know, and you know, being a cancer survivor and so forth. So I do wonder, again, I hate to keep returning to this kind of COVID production thing, but I wonder, like, you know, was was version one of this episode, Sukal hollows in, and then when the time comes to shoot the episode, hey, the actor's not available, or this is, he's only available during such and such time, and this is when the show did a COVID timeout, you know, things like that, where are we seeing set up an, uh, an intentional planned setup for the future, or is this the remnant of the Sukal appearance that got axed due to a variety of production reasons, Um I don't know. I know with the Reno stuff, they went back and had her on set for two weeks and shot multiple episodes in that time. Can you do the same for Sukal? I don't know. And again, maybe I'm trying to say I hope he doesn't come back, um, even though he was in the beginning of the season. So no reason to think he's not going to show up at some point later on. We're told that Bryce is working in this episode for yet another unseen character, Dr. Kovic, for first contact. Uh, so obviously you want your senior, uh, you know, comms officer doing that and trying to find a frequency that can go outside the galactic barrier. Uh, but an interesting check in there. Yeah. Uh, you know, and clearly we've had Kovic stuff already. So I would, you know, I would argue if you wanted him to be in this episode, you know, you could have. <laughs> got him at any point when you were filming his other stuff or when they did reshoots in the late summer, early fall. Um, I like that. I like that the show has really settled into, if nothing else, regardless of the reason, regardless of the circumstances of filming, I like that they've settled into keeping a lot of these supporting characters in the show, in the story, whether that's give them some every person discussion about, what everyday people think about the DMA and book and all that, or whether it's just, 
hey, we're working on a variety of missions, and this episode was never going to feature the Bryce Kovich subplot as they're in a Jeffrey's tube, tools in their mouths going, oh, well, maybe if we do this to the subspace uh, network, it'll get a signal through. That probably was never going to happen, but the, it's a richer universe to have those scenes going on, if only in our imaginations. How could Tarka not have theorized that the DMA controller might run on Wi-Fi? <laughs> um, it's a good question, and I think the answer lies in the smart storytelling that they have. I mean, it's I I feel like overall they've done a good job explaining to us, you know, like again as I've referenced in other episodes, like. Tech, 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 tech. What does that mean? It's like it's a mining scoop. Okay, got it. Tech, 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 tech. What does that mean? It's the it's the battery for the machine. So I feel like we had a very good understanding of everyone's understanding of how this thing works. The fact that he had a blind spot, I mean, clearly that was to facilitate the blind spot being used in this episode. But back to your question, how could he have missed this? I mean, does it speak to his kind of central arrogance does it speak to his kind of you know baloney nature to him i mean pete in the last week uh in our real world elon musk was predicting you know people on mars in the next 50 years and things like that as we've been saying for the last four years of star trek discovery you know the first season of which also referenced musk either he's a he's he's a genius who's going to greatly impact the history of our species or he's kind of a quack. I guess same thing here for Tarka. Either he's the smartest guy around ever, or he just took away the scoop from the child aliens who are now going to get really angry at we, the ants. And since we've continually referenced his need for the power source to go, it's it bears mentioning again they keep saying home but he's never been to this other reality um it's where he was going to meet his scientist friend if they were separated um that obviously he's going to chase this power source uh which told is past the galactic barrier yeah the vagaries that come from tarka kind of are slowly mounting up more and more and again for some of them like your prior point about him not knowing what he didn't know you want to completely explain that away as well he made a mistake and of course they weren't going to tell us that there was going to be a mistake in episode 409 okay cool that's fine but the friend where he's headed why it's home you know this is very different from you know for example uh in season one where, you know, we had like graphics of like, look, all the blue lights are our universe and all the red lights are, are, are connection points to a mirror universe. Like there's something going on here that I don't think is a production couldn't get to it in time kind of thing. I think we're hiding a Tarka revelation in these next four episodes. What that looks like, I don't know. Um, you know, whether it's surprise, he was a Klingon all along or... He actually, you know, he, he he's a luminous, glowing person inside his Tarka, you know, his Tarka skin. Whatever it is, I feel like we've got to be headed towards more than this is a really great actor who knows how to look determined but sad. Could they pull that switcheroo on us that he was a 10C the whole time? 
Um, I, I think that that might fit a bunch of the, that might check a bunch of boxes, um, including like, well, how did we never detect this with scanners? Cause they're so advanced. Cause, cause he's had a pocket anti-scanner the entire time. Like, I think there's easy writerly ways to have, you know, what could be a cool scene. I mean, I'm thinking of, you know, dark crystal when the, when the, the two become one at the end, I'm thinking of, uh, the, oh, who's the guy? You'll probably know the name, Pete. In Total Recall, when there's the the guy that's got the little guy in his tummy. There you go. Like, a reveal like that where you go, what? I had no idea. Like, it could be a really cool scene where his skin is cracking and glowy creature is coming out or that kind of thing. Ooh, home was inside of us all along. There you go. There you go. Wait, so, you know, the whole... Uh, covid metaphor that we really needed to stay home to find ourselves uh, to whatever degree they want to make this the covid season sure absolutely uh, a shared global experience and having a season of star trek use sci-fi metaphors to comment on something that we all have experienced look it's either now or never man um the saru date thing um, you know, they're going to get together. Obviously, this is something we've not seen Saru deal with. It's always tricky when you've got a political leader dating, uh, no less so from uh, a species that's super guarded about their emotion at a tenuous time. Is this a way of upping the emotional ante that, maybe Tarina or perhaps even Saru might be in some danger. I like that you're approaching it from an authentic character perspective. I've kind of been approaching it from a writing room perspective in that, oh man, Saru has done all this stuff and all these things. We got to make him captain. All right, now he's, you know, kind of captain without a ship but he's captain on special assignment oh man called back to discovery for one last mission that last us the season until we think of the next time we can rope him on back but we also got to give him more than oh no sensors have gone from blue to red so let's give him let's give him the juicy romance here the for not quite forbidden but you know look pete's challenging enough to fall in love with the vulcan and have a vulcan fall in love with you and all that um I like the I like the writerly juice that it can bring about. Um, could that also equally set up writerly juice of, oh no, the DMA is now headed to Navarre, um, and now in addition to you know, like, hey, I like the Vulcans because the Star Trek. Like now it's you know for this time for Saru, it's personal. Sure, that's win win. So we're told that the species behind the dma is something we've never seen before but matt we never saw prime lorca <laughs> um look if that's the twist that'll be one heck of a twist you want to tell me prime lorca has also has has turned bad our assumption that he was good because mira lorca was bad he, he doesn't know he's bad he's just mining boronite so he can get back home um that would be uh, look it, that would be so cool that would be cool and i would argue it would be so cool that if you want to 
how if he's you want been, to go he's been under lockdown beyond the galactic barrier like he he couldn't he couldn't come past it and it would be a super cool cliffhanger at the end of the season where it's like finally they'll be revealed or like hey we've just discovered that the glowy luminescent bodies of them that was actually just a nanite construction so who is it who's in the 10c control room and it's all bathed in light and they're holding up their hands and as the light comes down you know hello captain burnham close up on gabriel Lorca. Dun, 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 you know and he and, was future man from enterprise all along yeah like there, look there's tons of there's tons of really fun potential here particularly i don't know how much at the at this point of the production of this season they're thinking the likelihood of a season five renewal i know we have since gotten it but how much we're thinking is season five renewal how much they're thinking is season five it do you start to prepare for an end game but if you want to tell me if you want to tell me on uh march 17th or march 18th the day after episode 413 airs if you want to tell me you know and jason isaacs returns for the final season of uh, of star trek discovery i'll be sad that it's final but i'll love the arc that we got the first and the last that'd be fulfilling for sure with that let's go to hailing frequencies hailing frequencies open sir let's go now pete to our twitter poll uh in which pete i i love I love that there are people on Twitter, maybe not necessarily followers of ours, there's people out there that will just downvote hashtag Star Trek Discovery because it's a challenge to me to find the middle ground. Uh, and I'm proud of this week's poll because it's it's kind of it's kind of like nonsense while also fun. Uh, over what meal with President Torino would you discuss the episode? Um, one option, drinks and snacks at the bar, 16 point, uh, pardon me, 17.6%. Formal dinner, 29.4%. A working lunch, 11.8%. And then, Pete, breakfast the next morning, winky emoji, got 41.2%. And some replies to that tweet as well. Uh, The first one up here is James the Sagacious. That's at Big Killin' on Twitter. We got none. Felt like Burnham gave book too much rope, but the episode needed tension. The DMAs are, a di- are dimes a dozen ending was one of the nicest sci-fi surprises I've seen in a while. It's nice that all uh, that it's all still a mystery this deep into the season. You know what, Pete? I had not thought of it like that, okay? I was maybe a little down on the ending being a reset, but I think James is absolutely right that the last thing I expected was they were going to destroy the DMA in episode 409 and that it would then come back in a second version completely unchanged. So go uh james going on to say the show seems more balanced with tilly and the trills off ship i want them back but not all at once or all the time i don't know how 10c can live up to the hype short of them being yodas baby yoda (laughs) with a purple lightsaber that talks like sam jackson um pete i won't say it i'm sure you won't say it but i think we all many of us know what was on the bottom of samuel jackson's lightsaber hilt Maybe they will say that. I don't know. <laughs> um, next, we heard from JT Atkins. Is that JTA is me? Uh, let's have non back for good. Uh, wouldn't that make this a non-starter? Wow. Uh, he says the adventure continues. <laughs> a non-sequitur. Great... There we go. Uh, he continues to say the adventure continues. Great to see non. Y'all come back now. Y'all here. Yeah, here. Um, next, we hear from Andre Yeager. That's at Dr. Apollo 1983. Now we are moving along in a nice clip. 
had me on the edge of my seat most of the episode. Book just wants to do the right thing, but Tarka is in it for only selfish reasons. That will always backfire. Hopefully we will see 10C soon. I think they are going to be pissed. <laughs> um, Spider-Ham Lincoln is up next. That's at TessLC139. Rubicon was much better than All In, and I was happy to see most of the major minor characters on screen together, including Non. I'm worried that Reese is going down a bit of a dark path. Frustratingly, unsolved mysteries continue. Let's see the 10C already. I was curious, so I looked this up, he continues to say. The phrase crossing the Rubicon is an idiom that means that one is passing a point of no return. Its meaning mm -hmm. comes from allusion uh, to the crossing of the Rubicon River by Julius Caesar in early January 49 BC. So, Pete, I think uh, I think many people uh, kind of kind of had a sense of the Rubicon meaning there. Right. I will add to Spider-Ham Lincoln's commentary the episode did not necessarily feel like we were crossing the Rubicon. It was called Rubicon. You know, is that a hint for, you know, really getting, really getting walloped in the next episode? Well, you've made the worst type of first contact in that you destroyed something another species had made without reaching out to them. And, you know, now that's, how you've met them is that they've sent another one to the same spot. So they have reached a point of no return in a manner of speaking. Next up here from Stingray, that's at Trek Girl 88. Another good episode. I'm a sucker for reunions. So seeing the disco crew welcome Non back warmed my heart. The scene with Burnham giving Book the new info was so tense. I was sure Tarka was just going to shoot Book in the back and send the bomb. I hope Book can come back into the fold, but I don't see how at this point. Loved the scene with Saru and Tarina. I can't remember the last time I shipped a couple so hard. Culber's advice was great. Go get it, you fool. I can't decide who I love more, Culber or Wilson Cruz. And then Trek Girl adds uh, the gif. Uh, both? Both? Both. Uh, both is good. So there you go. Uh, then last tweet, Pete, comes from Calvin Was Right. That is K-C-L-Y-L-E-1 on Twitter. Finally, the bridge crew. And a tense game of cat and mouse. Really enjoyed this episode. At least we know Reno still exists. Uh, as book uh, And book proves he's not a total scuzzball. Great to see Non. Overall, a great episode, in my opinion. With that, Pete, let's check back in with Starfleet HQ and hear the wise homily of Grand Admiral Fred from the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Discovery. Season 4, Episode 9. This was a much better episode than last week. Last week's episode I gave a 6 on IMDb and this will get an 8 from me. Much more action and interaction. Really loved the visual picture when uh, Michael went to Book's ship. And you see him standing there behind his... Uh, big starship window and also she really physical instead of just communicating in in other ways just seeing each other physically feels a bit like uh, how i contact my two sons at the moment they both have covid my wife and our are fine so far but still very weird here in the house keep your distance very much clean everything 
and although I'm triple vaccinated, you still can get it. I looked it up for somebody else. In the US, almost 1 million COVID deaths now and still 2,500 a day? Well, it's not finished yet. Very frustrating thing this week was that we finally were allowed to give physical lectures again and then we got a very heavy storm. So uh, all the lectures had been cancelled or went to online. All trains were cancelled, all subways here in my city were cancelled. They also run partly above ground. But COVID also has a good thing because switching to online lectures was not that difficult. We really could do it. And if I imagine such a storm before March 2020, we would say, oh, we have to cancel everything. So the world did change. Well, Pete being a teacher, he probably knows everything about that. Are you actually a teacher too, Matt? Or do you have another profession? Actually, I don't know. Okay, that was enough talking about non-discovery stuff. I really, really am so annoyed by the Tarka, so he does his role very well, being just such an ass. I may not say it, but actually I thought Booker just shoot this guy with his arrogant smug face. What was very nice is having Commander Nan back, and she has a ma- had a major role in this episode, I really liked it. I like Rachel Angeril anyhow as an actress from Killjoys, Winona Earp and one episode of The Listener. I think her interaction with Michael was quite interesting. So on one hand being friends more or less and on the other hand she really had to steer Michael in the right direction and having some arguments and also having the power actually to relieve Michael from command if necessary and they played it very well both of them i think curious about how far the saru love story will go and the dma back well that's okay where would the story go otherwise that will be all for this time greetings all the best fred from the netherlands pete we were laughing off mic to hear fred so accurately and so honestly say the tarka is an ass um because it's true i mean the actor the actor i don't want to say he's not being given a ton to work with but look he's not being oh, given a great job i mean yeah. it, any actor that would make you you know feel any way towards him that doesn't have to do with you know obnoxious habits or things like that yeah no he's he is an appropriate villain here but in the best of the star trek sense one in which you can partially identify with and i'll mention that's actor sean doyle who actually i did not know was canadian so you know happy to see you know canadian love here he's been all over a bunch of stuff for the last you know 20 years and so forth um and just again as i started to say you know it's not that he hasn't been given lines and stuff but this is far from you know, Emperor Georgiou in a, a on a throne, and I'm gonna you misspoke. Pew, I'm gonna kill you like that. He doesn't have that kind of juice to work with, and still, you know, he's the black hatted villain, and still, you know, you should feel bad for him on some level because of this loss he's talking about. But I don't trust him. But I feel bad for like it, there's all this going on there. Um, so so there's that, and Pete, uh, Fred also celebrating as as we all have, celebrating the return of Nan. 
Yeah, I think that she's just a great presence. I confess I don't watch any of those other shows that um not yet, I, not yet. Not yet. That's just the thing. Her involvement, uh, I'm going to research just how active she is in those shows and maybe check it out. Well, Pete, with four episodes of Discovery to go, uh, as well as ten episodes of Picard and ten episodes of Strange New Worlds and the <laughs> third season of some Lower Moon Knight coming and some Obi Wan Kenobi, uh, it's the best of times, and these times made possible by those who support us on Patreon.com/slash/FantasticGeek. We continue to be so proud that we are listener supported, and uh, our thanks, as always, to those patrons. Get yourself over to patreon.com slash fantastic geek takes just a dollar a month to get you behind that door. All sorts of levels to contribute past that can't contribute this month. Get yourself over to Apple podcasts and leave us a rating in seconds or a review in just a little while longer and help spread the word about fantastic geek. Pete, let's keep the hailing frequencies open. How can people reach out to you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,376 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do me in touch with the podcast, comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. For those listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we will be talking Star Trek Picard Season 2 preview tomorrow. Then Pete, back here next weekend for Discovery, uh, and that will bring February to a close. And then we get the glorious March with Disco and Picard at the same time. Then Picard and Moon Knight at the same time. And then that's the same for April. And then it just the joys just increase from there. For now, though, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word duty above all.